tuning in. You are listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with some of the differences between Democrats and Republicans. Move on to the age-old question, who invented race? And follow all of that up with some Texas-style impeachment, as well as the latest installment of our ongoing docuseries, To Catch a President. Let's begin, shall we? The age-old debate that Democrats and Republicans are just two sides of the same coin, and voting for one is voting for one of the lesser of two evils, and a plethora of worn-out tropes comparing apples to oranges simply because they're both fruit is not only a fifth-grade-level reasoning, but it's just plain wrong. And nothing proves my point more than a recent hearing of the House Oversight and Accountability committee where a Democrat and a Republican questioned the same pharmacist about the same topic and what transpired could not have been more opposing. So let's start with Democrat House Representative Katie Porter from California who wanted to point out the hypocrisy of health care insurance pricing. How does the shopper know how much the vitamins are going to cost? Yeah, we have prices on our shelf tags. They can see the price they'll pay. That's right. Let's say this shopper, in addition to vitamins, also needs to fill a prescription. Can they look at a price tag to find out how much they're paying for the medication? No, ma'am. There's nothing like that. Does every consumer who buys vitamins, who buys the same jar of vitamins, pay the same price? Yeah. In my pharmacy, the price is the price. What happens with if I go to fill a prescription at your pharmacy? Does every customer pay the same price? No. Why not? Well, I mean, it's because of the insurance company that's paying for their drugs. There you have it, folks. Katie doing what Katie does best, exposing the corruption with simple examples that we can all understand. We can comparison shop with nearly every other product in a pharmacy, but when it comes to prescription drugs, you just pay what they say. And not every member of an insurance company pays the same amount for the exact same drugs. This is what we expect from our elected officials, exposing the dirtbag capitalists that are taking advantage of a situation in public hearings so that her findings can be entered into the record, used to craft future laws. And as a side note, that's actually in her job description as a member of the House of Representatives. But then you have the other side of the aisle where you'll find GED recipients and newly divorced 36-year-old Mimas like Republican Representative Lauren Bobblehead from Colorado. She questioned the exact same pharmacist that you heard Katie Porter question, but instead of exposing insurance pricing schemes, Infidelity Barbie decided that she was going to make this all about a teen mom story time. Roll tape. Do you see that patients leave their prescriptions at pharmacies because they can no longer pay for it? They absolutely do in my pharmacy, yes. I actually have a fun little story. My staff is probably going to talk to me about this later. But uh, I left a prescription at a pharmacy once. I went to get birth control. 
And I was there at the counter and went to pay for it. And the, the price was very, very high. I said, wow, is this a three, six month prescription? No, ma'am, this is one month. And I said, it's cheaper to have a kid. And I left it there. And now I have my third son, Caden Bobert. Um, and so I'm actually, it was, a, it was turned out to be a really great thing. But um, I, I've personally experienced that um, when times were tough. Oh, isn't that the most Hallmark moment ever captured on C-SPAN? <laughs> Here is a real-life example of conservative family values. A woman, let's call her Lauren, gets pregnant in high school, drops out and has the baby, then has another, then comes to the conclusion that having yet another baby would be so much cheaper than taking the birth control. <laughs> Now, I realize that Dumbert grew up on welfare and couldn't afford any of the things that make childhood worth it, so she probably thinks kids don't really cost all that much, although the rest of the country would probably call that parental neglect, but I digress. The point is, Democrats and Republicans are definitely not the same. They are not cut from the same cloth, and they are certainly not a choice between one of two evils because Democrats want to expose and legislate away corruption for the benefit of the American people. And Republicans want you to think that poverty ridden and neglect filled childhoods from your teen mom who could only provide that for you because, again, she's a teenager herself is normal. And while we're on the subject of Democrats and Republicans aren't the same, I present to you the newly divorced Paleolithic representative from Georgia, Mad Trader Goon, who decided to show her ass by presenting an amendment to the still being crafted Halt Fentanyl Act. And she clearly came up with this one all on her own. I, I come before you tonight to introduce an amendment to H.R. 467, the Halt Fentanyl Act. My amendment will uh, reads, notwithstanding any other provision of law, any person who knowingly or intentionally imports fentanyl or any fentanyl-related substance across the southern border shall be punished by death. Damn. <laughs> I knew Dog the Bounty Hunter and her clan of maggots hate immigrants coming to our southern border. I just didn't realize that they were out for actual blood. There is a huge problem with these pasty murderers' plan to rid America of any pigment, and that is 90% of the fentanyl illegally coming into the United States was brought here by American citizens. In fact, as of 2021, 86.3% of convicted fentanyl traffickers were United States citizens. 90% of the fentanyl seized at legal border crossings was taken from, you guessed it, <laughs> American citizens. But getting factual information wrong isn't the only problem with Georgia's favorite Klan mom's amendment. And I will let the Democrat who questioned Ultimate Karen at the hearing, Pennsylvania Representative Mary Scanlon, explain it all. 
this amendment, which applies an automatic death sentence to anyone who imports any amount of fentanyl-type drugs, so long as it comes across the southern border, is not a serious or rational response to a very serious problem. On the off chance this is supposed to be a serious amendment and not just clickbait for social media or campaign donations, I would offer the following I, points it, for nothing consideration. Nothing is for clickbait it's or my campaign time. donations. First of all, the amendment's unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has been clear that the death penalty is a violation of the Eighth Amendment in circumstances where death was not the immediate result of the violation in question. Second, it would have the absurd result that you've got a mandatory death penalty for someone who brings a pill with fentanyl across the southern border, but not for someone who imports hundreds of pounds of fentanyl anywhere else in the country. Third, it imposes a mandatory minimum sentence of death. This would be the first and only mandatory minimum sentence in U.S. history that's right, Mary. Not only is the notion of killing brown people for seeking asylum at our southern border a maggot's wet dream, this amendment is absolutely nothing more than clickbait and will be used by the QAnon clown for campaign donations. Not to mention the multiple appearances on Fox Not the News Channel, Neanderthal Barbie will squeeze out of this because, let's be honest, folks, it's obvious the Republican vision of America is as white as the sheets these inbreds wear to their not-so-secret meetings. And that brings me to another Christian conservative douche who may be a member of the Cherokee Nation, but he doesn't stop at white passing. He has actually embraced the bigoted problems of his people's oppressor, Mr. Mark Wayne Mullins of Oklahoma. Marky Mark forgot his Cherokee heritage just long enough to defend the white man and his made-up ideas about the color of people's skin. I have a book called Our Skin that has been endorsed by NACI, and I'm going to read exactly what this book says. A long time ago, way before you were born, a group of white people made up an idea called race. They sorted people by skin color and said that white people were better, smarter, prettier, and they deserved more than everybody else. Really? How about we teach Jesus loves me? The lyrics go, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in our sight. Which is better to teach? A story that was made up to teach our kids, three-year-olds who have no idea what race is, now all of a sudden it's being taught that white people said this as a truth. Someone pointed me that this being a truth. Oh, oh, I'm someone. And I know for a historical fact, white people invented the idea of color and race, as well as the superiority surrounding a certain color that they just so happen to be. So they would have justification for treating people of a different color horrifically. For example... Before the 16th and 17th centuries, race was defined by kinship, not the amount of melanin that you have in your skin. In other words, prior to the globalization of capitalism, your race was defined by the people you hung out with. So if you're a peasant, you got treated like one. If you're the daughter of a lord, you got all the perks regardless of the shade of your epidermis. Fast forward to the 17th and 18th centuries, and you've got race redefined to describe your skin color thanks to the rise of global capitalism, which depended heavily on slave trades and their labor to function. In what would become the United States, this notion may have started with the Spanish colonizing the native South American populations, 
but the very white English perfected the idea of skin color defining how a person should be treated with the establishment of the Virginia colony and the way they acted toward the native people who were already there. Now Virginia wasn't the gold rush that the English were hoping for, so they settled on becoming tobacco farmers. And to turn a profit, this is where white people really put that new definition of race into deplorable use. See, in order to get as many white people on board with the concept that black people aren't actually human, and since only humans can enter into a contract, black people's slavery had to be inherent and passed down through their descendants, essentially making black people slaves for life. These white slave-owning businesses came up with this idea so they could ingrain it into society over centuries, and it has been so successful, we hardly recognize that we use it still to this day. So in order to continue to justify slavery, we start to see the pseudoscience of race emerge that connected physical features, behavior, and legal rights right around the 18th century when colonial use of slaves was expanding. Scientific ideas about physical appearance and racial difference in the 18th century were largely folk ideas used to justify already existent social norms. So as a result of a desire to perpetuate systems of exploitation, more and more distinctions were made about the supposed differences amongst races, primarily the differences of black people from their white counterparts. So we're talking about things like the wideness of the nose, the kinkiness of the hair, along with the shade of the skin. These obvious and many made-up traits provided an excuse for white people to distinguish themselves as separate and therefore superior. Ironically, it was this same time as the European Enlightenment, a period in history when categorizing the natural world was a passion project for the scientific community, which paved the way for white supremacists to categorize humans into species and then subspecies. And I bet you can guess where this is going. As European theorists looked to classify the world into scientific groupings, physical markers that were already established social norms through enslavement and genocide were ways that they sought to prove that this was the natural order and not a social construction. The Enlightenment formulation of history also played a crucial role in the development of social ideologies of race. Kant, Hegel, and other philosophers of their day claimed that certain racial groups stood outside of history or had no history, and this included all groups that they considered non-white or outside of European ideals of modernity. This meant that groups that were devoid of history and culture were inherently less valuable and therefore subordinate to other races, and they were cast as the natural sacrifices of progress. And in case you were wondering, it is a lot easier to classify a group of people as being, quote, less valuable and therefore subordinate to other races, end quote, when you destroy their culture and burn their books. A group of people who weren't previously classified until it became profitable for the group of people who were doing the classification in the first place, this doesn't sound like a natural progression to me. And since you can't have a subspecies without a primary species, ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between, and especially Mark Wayne Mullins, that is how we got white people inventing race so they could be, oh, 
how did Mark, I use my white passing instead of my Cherokee heritage to get Trump supporters to vote for me, Mullins put it. White people were better, smarter, prettier, and they deserved more than everybody else. Yeah, I think I've proven my point. And now for something completely different. Texas is known for a lot of things, like coining the phrase, no shirt, no cowboy boots, no service. It's a special place where country music is the only music available, and riding a horse is just how you get to where you want to go. What Texas is not known for is political accountability, which is why the Republican-controlled state legislator doing this to one of their own was so out of pocket. Attorney General Ken Paxton, a Republican, became just the third person ever to be impeached in that state, and he was impeached by Republicans. Wasn't even a close vote in the GOP-controlled statehouse. Lawmakers began investigating Paxton back in March after he asked for $3.3 million in taxpayer money to settle a whistleblower lawsuit filed by staffers whom Paxton fired after they went to the FBI with their corruption allegation. The 20 articles of impeachment include charges of not only misappropriation of public resources, but also bribery, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy. Uh, could somebody go check on Texas? Sounds like hell just froze over and we all know the Texas energy grid can't take any sudden changes in weather. And since not every Texan can afford to run off to Cancun whenever their children want to go to the beach, we've got a, the biggest holy shit going on here. And I would like to begin with some exposition. Back in the long ago time of 2020, several high level staffers working for the grifter posing as an attorney general, Mr. Ken Paxton, ratted out their boss to the FBI saying that he was criming so many crimes, they couldn't keep it to themselves anymore. Corruption Ken was then investigated by the Texas State Republicans, and they found he was guilty of a shit ton of crimes. Now, of course, Grifter Kenny was guilty of all the greatest hits like bribery, lying on official documents, using public funds for personal gain, and obstructing justice on more than one occasion. But he was also found to be derelict in his duty as attorney general because he was so busy committing conspiracies which made him sussy to the voters and a liability to Republicans. So they found him unfit for office. But getting back to those former staffers, they settled a $3.3 million lawsuit with Dubious Ken. And that is why Republicans impeached the criming attorney general. This glorified ambulance chaser expected the taxpayers to pay the bill. The statement from the Texas House Speaker, Dade Phelan, spokeswoman obtained by the statesman, reads this. This process was initiated as a result of the attorney general's request for $3.3 million in state funds in order to settle with whistleblowers. The attorney general made this demand of the legislature without providing sufficient information or evidence in support of his request. Oh, those Republicans get quite pissy when you ask them to pay for your shenanigans that you've been pulling since 2018. <laughs> because it was all well and good for them to look the other way as Double Dealing Ken was using his office to help his donors get out of legal trouble. But they put their foot down when he expected them to pay for his crimes. Literally. <laughs> $3.3 million worth. 
And when I say Texas Republicans look the other way, I'm talking about stopping Democrat votes from being counted in the 2020 election. So Texas could have gone for Beto O'Rourke and Joe Biden. But don't take my word for it. Conniving Ken said it himself on a podcast with the former guy's former chief campaign officer. Steve, I wear three shirts because I like the smell of my own body odor. Bannon. Roll tape. Yeah, I think it, it's um, certainly critical to my state. And that's why we fought off these 12 lawsuits. We had them in Houston. We had them in San Antonio. We had them in, in Austin. We had them in the counties where you'd have the most liberal judges. And it was a concerted effort nationally with lots of money going into it. And just knowing that we had 12 losses that we had to win. And if we had lost one of them, like if we lost Harris County, Trump won by 620,000 votes in Texas. Harris County mail-in ballots that they wanted to send out were 2.5 million. Those were all illegal, and we were able to stop every one of them. Had we not done that, we would have been in the very same situation. We would have been on election night. I, I was watching election night, and I knew when I saw what was happening in these other states, that that would have been Texas. We would have been in the same boat. We would have been one of those battleground states that they were counting votes in Harris County for three days, and Donald Trump would have lost the election. The appropriate phrase is, Ken just said the quiet part out loud, but holy forking shirt balls, because you just heard the attorney general for Texas explain how he rigged the 2020 election to ensure that Texas went for Trump and their disaster on wheels, Governor Greg Abbott. So I guess it's safe to say that the two million plus mail-in votes coming from Harris County election rigging Ken was referring to would have meant Beto O'Rourke is the man who would be governor and Texas would have been blue for the first time ever. You know, if it wasn't for that meddling attorney general. So what does corrupt as hell Ken have to say for himself? What have you done to anger these establishment liberal Republicans? Look, I've angered ever, ever since I was in the Texas House. I ended up running against Joe Strauss, who was a Republican speaker. And, uh, you know, when you expose what these liberal Republicans do, which is basically cut deals with liberal Democrats, they get really angry. The, the last thing they want is somebody around like me who exposes what they do. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. <laughs> Before DeSitstein got a hold of Florida, Texas held on lock things like having insanely loose gun laws and misogynistically inspired laws on a woman's right to decide what happens to her own body and protections for the most devout followers of Republican Jesus. But since the consequences chasing old gets his mistress a government job can have now caught up with him, it's time to make some shit up. Like a sect of Republican politics that doesn't exist. <laughs> liberal Republicans. <laughs> they really do lean on the fact that their base is poorly educated, don't they? <laughs> and speaking of someone who loves the poorly educated, did you happen to hear the good news? 
federal prosecutors are in possession of an audio recording where former President Trump appears to acknowledge having classified documents. Audio recording of a summer 2021 meeting in which former President Donald Trump acknowledges that he held on to a classified Pentagon document about a potential attack on Iran. The recording indicates Trump understood he retained classified material after leaving the White House. On the recording, Trump's comments suggest he would like to share the information, but he's aware of limitations on his ability post-presidency to declassify records. And CNN reports that special counsel Jack Smith now has this tape. Well, I think I know what's on special prosecutor Jack Smith's Spotify shuffle. <laughs> Holy shit, guys. You realize there is a tape of old Donnie Two Scoops after he left office and in possession of a classified document about a potential attack on Iran. Recorded while he's on the phone chatting it up with someone that he definitely wants to share this information with. You know this makes Hair Farce 1 a liar. For the like the gajillionth time, but still. That blonde highlighted trash panda that he's been wearing on his head isn't the only lie Dumpster Fire has been telling. Like, they totally made up bullshit about he declassified everything before he left office. Well, if that's true, and he was aware that he couldn't do that as a former White House occupant on a recorded call, why did he say this on that town hall rally that CNN held for him weeks ago? I have no classified documents. And by the way, they become automatically declassified when I took them. Yeah, yeah, see that. That is the actual story. Scooby-Coo waving his tiny fat fingers, sprinkling all the classified documents he'd taken from Washington with extra crispy crumbs, because we all know that is what makes classified documents magically declassified. But that still doesn't explain why Marilardo said on a recorded call when he was aware that being the former guy would get in the way of declassifying documents since only a sitting president can do that. <laughs> you know, this is going to take more mental gymnastics than I'm capable of doing. So I'm going to turn it over to classified Don's attorney and proof even D average lawyers can get jobs too, Mr. Jim Trusty who said the stupid part out loud on CNN. Roll tape. You referenced the fact that Trump was still president when he left office. He left Washington, I think he had about an hour left in his presidency. Are you saying that it was in that hour that he declassified the documents that were taken with him? No, your, your timing is a little bit off. He, he landed in Mar-a-Lago and was at his residence while still president. It was a little bit after that that Biden was sworn in. But just to be clear, you're making the argument right now that by the time he was on the ground in Florida, after he left Washington, that that is when he declassified all of these documents that he took with him. No, no, no. I'm saying that documents he brought with him are effectively declassified and personalized under the Presidential Record Act. Now, as a side note, that is absolutely no way in hell how any of that works. But of course, Mr. Trusty would say that. And by that, I mean, according to Trusty, the tangerine ball bag declassified documents that were already declassified after he left the White House while he was on the way to Florida. But definitely those documents were declassified by the time he landed in Florida. <laughs> except for that one phone call in 2021 when he was being recorded and is now 
in Jack Smith's hands. <laughs> you know, that call that old drinks with two hands said he wasn't sure if he could share potential plans to attack Iran with whoever he was on the phone with because he wasn't president anymore and unable to declassify documents. <laughs> Anyone else feel a migraine coming on? And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday, and you can follow us on social media wherever you can find us. This Week Again is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this show, and to Dur for now.